Yesterday uh, morning, I was working in Swansea Prison, and uh, when I got there in the morning, there's a little note uh, for me saying that uh, at some point during the day, could I bring a particular prisoner over to the chapel? Uh, it was the anniversary of uh, this prisoner's mother's death, the daughter's father, but it was mother's. And, um, and so could he come across the candle, spend some time uh, to the chapel, spend some time there, light a candle, say a few prayers, that kind of thing. Really have some peace and, and get away from the noise of the wing. And, uh, and so I, I could see where his cell was, which wing he was on, which landing. And uh, a, a little bit later on that morning, once I'd done a few other tasks, uh, one of the jobs I had to do was to deliver some service sheets because of COVID. Only some wings can come to chapel on a Sunday morning, and so the other wings get a, get a service sheet, get a bit of a sermon sheet. So I was uh, on this particular wing delivering these leaflets, waiting to go and to see this young man then and to tell him, well, I'll pick you up at about 10, that kind of thing. Anyway, I was on the wing below uh, where this man was situated uh, when I was shouted at from that particular cell. Are you the chaplain? This man shouted down. I said, oh, yes, yes, I am. I know that you want to see me. I'll, I shouted back, I'll, I'll come up, give me two minutes, I'll be up. Now. Uh, and so I went up to the cell to see him. But the actual, the man who had shouted down wasn't the person who I was going to bring across to the chapel. It was his cellmate uh, who basically said, chaplain, he said, I want to become a Christian. I think that's one of the first times that I've ever been asked that question so directly, certainly in prison, certainly for a good number of years. I want to become a Christian. How do I become a Christian? And so I had about, I don't know what he would have done, but I knew that I had about a minute with him and, and that was it. I could have prayed a prayer with him. I could have explained the gospel to him perhaps in, in those few seconds. But I followed up with a question. What makes you want to become a Christian? And uh, he answered, well, I'm in a, I've got alcohol problems, an alcoholic, and I've tried a few different things. And, and I, I think Christianity may be the answer for me. So I said, well, I have got time. Didn't really say it like that. But I said, I'll tell you what, I'm going to take your cellmate now across to the chapel. I'll get a book for you. So I said, I'll come back and see you. Read this and I'll come back and see you. So I gave him um, Ultimate Questions by John Blanchard. Great book. I was just struck by a great question. But what lay behind the question? Is this man, is this prisoner really genuine? Does he really know what Christianity is? Does he know what it means to be a Christian? I'm sure he doesn't know that being a Christian means taking up our crosses to follow Christ. But we'll see where he is when I go back in later in the week. Good questions. But what's the motive behind them? And what our hearts like. Matthew, Mark, and Luke all record for us most of the passage that Mark read for us this morning from Matthew 19. The part about the children, but really the, the part about Jesus and this rich young ruler as he's become known to us. The stories that Matthew, Mark, and Luke tell are virtually identical. There's a few different details that are given in each, but 
really it's the same story told in exactly the same way. And we see in this story really three different attitudes. We see four, but I'm going to come back to the fourth. But in the story, there are three. And we know really who are there. We've got Jesus, the hero, as we've already thought this morning. We've got this rich young ruler. And of course, we've got the disciples who enter in to the conversation. And the story really is very straightforward. This rich young ruler asks Jesus a very good question. Teacher, what good thing must I do to get eternal life? In other words, what have I got to do to go to heaven? What do I do? That's the question. Three different attitudes. Let's just look at these three different attitudes first. Let's look at the disciples' attitude, first of all, because as he asks the question, Jesus answers him. There's a bit of to and fro in this as Mark read for us, and it's a well-known story, but, but basically Jesus answers, well, how do you see it? What do you think? Well, you know, keep the commandments. Jesus says to him, you know, what is good? There's only one who is good, it's God. If you want to enter life, keep the commandments. Which one, says this Richian ruler? Well, Jesus replies and gives a few of the commandments. Well, I've kept all them. The young man said, what do I still lack? It's an interesting thing. We'll come back to that. You see, he's kept the commandments. He's trying his best, but he can see that he still lacks something. So Jesus then says, well, sell. If you want to be perfect, you need basically to sell everything you have, get rid of everything, and then come follow me. And, of course, we know in the story that the young man heard this. He goes away sad and he leaves. But the disciples are astonished at this. Because, and we can be like that, can't we? This, here's a man. He's rich, he's young, and he's a ruler. He's important. And he comes to Jesus. And you can imagine the disciples, can't you? Here's a man who was asking, how do I get into heaven? And he's the ideal candidate. Here's a 13th disciple. Here's someone to join their club. Here's someone to join them. And he's rich and he's young and he's important. He's got authority. Wow. The disciples are really excited. And then when he goes, well, the disciples can't believe it. And especially when Jesus says something incredibly radical about rich people struggling to get into heaven. In fact, talking about camels and eyes of needles, well, they're, they're astonished. Who then can be saved? Who can join us? Who's going to get into heaven, Jesus? What, what's going on? And so they were astonished. This is the ideal candidate. What's not to like? Sign him up, Jesus. And then when Jesus, in a sense, puts him off, well, the disciples are just astonished. You know, we can be a bit like that, can't we? Sign them up. They're ideal for our church. Well, don't worry about that. But they're ideal. Look, especially when they're rich and young and are important. We often do that with testimonies, don't we? Get those who are really famous, perhaps, or rich or something like that, 
dramatic stories, but I'm not sure that's helpful often to many because who has stories like that? I was listening to a, a podcast, the Christians in Sport podcast, very helpful. Uh, it was an interview of uh, Gavin Peacock, former Chelsea, Newcastle United footballer, now a pastor in Canada. Used to appear on the BBC as a as a pundit during football. Ideal, perfect, but his testimony as a footballer, how does it relate to us today? As much as Mark reminded us in our prayers, for years I longed to be the next Welsh outside half. And if it wasn't for my lack of talent, ability, commitment, speed, so on, skill and everything else, I would have been it. I wished for it. I even worked hard for it. But I couldn't. Anyway, that's by the by again. But here we are, aren't we? We have. The disciples are getting excited. Here's the ideal candidate. That's their attitude. We can discriminate, can't we, so easily when people can. Did I discriminate yesterday in prison? I won't become a Christian. What am I going to do? Can I become a Christian? Do I discriminate well? Do you really? Well, the second attitude we see is we see the rich young ruler. And actually, his attitude, you've got to say, is really good. He is eager. We read that he ran up to Jesus. And so he runs. He's eager to get to Jesus. There have been crowds there. There have been people there. There have been children there. But he's eager. He's keen. Not only that, he is respectful. He kneels before Jesus. We don't read that in Matthew's gospel. But in the other gospels, in Mark and Luke, they were told that he runs and kneels before Jesus. That's showing respect. He calls him teacher or master. Again, respectful. He asks a, a very good, earnest question. Teacher, what good thing must I do to get eternal life? It's, it's, it's earnest, isn't it? He's obviously thought about this. He, he's focused as well on the right thing. Yeah, he, as we'll see, he may have everything that this world offers, but he still wants to secure his eternal life. He does the right thing in that way. What else? Well, he's zealous and disciplined. As Jesus gives him those commandments, don't murder, commit adultery, steal, give false testimony, honour your father and mother, love your neighbour as yourself. Now, he could be lying, of course, he could be. But... He may not be. Give him the benefit of the doubt. Jesus doesn't call him out, does he, and say, well, you're lying. Well, he could have been. But it seems that he's zealous, certainly in the way that he keeps the law. Straight away, all these are kept. Seemingly disciplined. But in his attitude, of course, we do see that he's ignorant. What must I do to inherit eternal life. He's ignorant. Does he really know the Old Testament scriptures? 
because they would be pointing him towards needing a savior. He's also spiritually blind because he doesn't pick up on what Jesus says. Why do you ask me about what is good? There's only one who is good. If you want to enter life, keep the commandments. At that point, he should have realized, I can't keep the commandments. I am not good. He should have realized and looked beyond himself. But he doesn't, in his blindness, he's still looking to himself and what he must do. And we see as well that he's covetous and he's idolatrous. He would rather keep his money and his possessions than give that up for eternal life. You see, he still is not willing and not able to keep all the commandments. Even in his zealousness, his discipline, he can't keep them all. He can't keep the last commandment about covetousness. And he can't keep the first commandment about idolatry. He's got a real eye. And so that's his attitude. And then you see the attitude of Jesus. Jesus is straight. He doesn't think to himself, well, here's the ideal candidate to follow me. Here, well, if Jesus is going to go, here's the ideal replacement. He's not. Straight away, why do you ask me about what is good? There's only one who is good. If you want to enter life, keep the commandments. And later on, Jesus is very straight when possibly, probably, still in this young man's hearing, he talks about a camel going through the eye of a needle. He's very straight. He is enlightening them. The answer teaches us. But he's also loving. He loves him. When he looked at him, he loved him. Too. So Jesus is loving even to him. But of course, Jesus is always faithful to his father. That's his attitude. He never waters down anything. Now, there's another group of people in this wider story that we're going to look at later, and their attitude actually is the key to the whole passage. But first of all, as we look at this story as a whole, we see really the answer to the question, what does the world value? We see it in this rich young ruler. What does the world value? Everything that this young man has. He is rich. He is healthy. He is young and he has power. The world places a value, doesn't it, on riches. Being rich is so important. So many of the men that I see in prison are there because they wanted to earn a quick buck. They wanted to sell drugs, some of them to feed their drugs habit, but not all of them. Many of them because it was easy to earn money, an easy way to get rich an easy way to buy that BMW, an easy way to cut corners and to be respected because of the car you drive, the house you live in, the clothes that you wear, to show and to tell everyone, look how much money I've got. That's why badges on cars are so important, aren't they? It's why somebody I used to work with years and years ago qualified for a company car. He had a, a mini metro, a rover mini metro. He, to get to North London, had to travel on the M25 with those contraflows. 
in his rusty old little mini metro. He would wait until the last moment in the traffic jam and then kind of try and force his way in. And always someone would flash him in. Why? He's got a rubbish car. And then he qualified for a company car, shiny BMW 3 Series. The same people in that same queue who before would let him in the queue. Now he's got a shiny BMW. They don't let him in. They block him off. They stop him. Why? Well, who does he think he is in his shiny new BMW? He's the same person. Why did they let him in? I'll let you in because I am superior to you. I have my nice car. Look at you in your pole. Mini Metro. Apologies if anyone's still got a Mini Metro. But, but that's, that's how people react. I feel sorry for you because my car is better than yours. I am clearly richer than you. So when you can, oh, who do you think you are? Thinking you're better than me because your BMW is shinier and newer. You see, that's what the world values. It's riches. It's what we've got. It's possessions. It's what we wear. It's how we portray ourselves. The world values riches. And the world values health. This young man had riches and he had his health, doesn't he? He runs and kneels. That is a sign of being young and of being healthy. And we value that as a world. We say, don't we? Well, you've got nothing unless you've got your health. Your health is everything. We get obsessed about health. We get obsessed about being healthy and staying healthy. We've seen that in the last year. This young man has that. And yet it's ridiculous, isn't it? Some of the happiest people around are those with genuine, real health problems. Health does not bring happiness, and illness does not bring sadness. But the world values health. Puts a huge premium on it. This young man has it. And the young man has, according to Luke's gospel, power as well. He has authority, success. We like people with authority and success. And this young man has everything, youth, that the world values. Riches, health, power, and youth. What more? This man is, in the world's eyes, he has everything. And yet he has nothing. Because he still runs and kneels before the Lord Jesus. He's still concerned about his spiritual life. And when Jesus says to him, all these young uh, these things I have kept, the commandments, what do I still lack? Clearly, the man does not have everything. Everything that the world values, but he lacks, and he feels it. You see it in the way that he runs and kneels before Jesus. You see it in the way that he questions, but you see it in the way that he answers, because in the answer that Jesus gives, he knows that he's still lacking. He knows that he hasn't got assurance of heaven. He knows that there is something missing in his life. Even though the world says, you've got everything. Nebuchadnezzar was a man who had everything the world offers in the Old Testament. King of not just Babylon, but the Babylonian Empire. He has power, authority. Hasn't got his youth anymore, but he's got his health. He's got all those riches. 
all that authority. He's got everything that the world offers and everything that the world looks to. And it's stripped away in a moment by God. You see, riches don't satisfy. This time next year, what does Del Boy say when they're millionaires? We'll be billionaires because it doesn't satisfy. And health, all of us are healthy for a while, just about, but lack of health and illness is inevitable in this world. And power, whatever control we think we have, however powerful we think we are, the pandemic has shown us that it's just really an illusion. We lack power. We lack control. However powerful we think we are, we lack it. And we all answer to someone, don't we? Even the richest and the most powerful people in the world, the most powerful politicians in the world, meeting in a G7 summit, they're answerable to the voters. And they voted out as soon as they voted in. And those people who were rich, the share price can plummet in a day. And health can go when one cell mutates and becomes cancerous. Everything that this world values, well, it's nothing in the light of eternity. Second thing we see here, the question is this, are the best good enough? And Jesus answers that, are the best good enough? Why do you ask me about what is good? There's only one who is good. Only God is good. And the rich young ruler should have picked up on that straight away, but he doesn't. He still goes on about the commandments. Which ones? If you want to enter life, keep the commandments. Well, we've all failed. We've all failed. We all are failing. We all will fail. So how are we going to get to heaven by keeping the commandments? It's an impossibility. That's the whole thrust of this passage, that we, by what we do, cannot keep the commandments. It's why that the question that is asked, in a sense, is irrelevant. What good thing must I do? You still laugh, Jesus says to him. You still laugh. If you want to be perfect, sell your possessions, give to the poor, then you'll have treasure in heaven. Then, after you've done all that, what are you to do? Follow Jesus. Then, come, follow me. What's he saying? Well, you're not good enough. Even the very best and the rich young ruler's got everything that this world gives, and he is keeping the commandments, some of them. Remember, in Jesus' answer, they're the outward commandments, the very obvious commandments, murder, adultery, steal, lying, honouring mother and father. Jesus is only giving him, in a sense, the easiest commandments to keep. But when it comes to the ones of the heart, covetousness, well, idolatry, the man lacks. Why? Because his heart is not for God. He just wants to add heaven to another of his treasures. And he doesn't want to give up everything to follow Jesus. And so the best is not good enough, is it? And you and I are like that as well. We can try our best. We can be the best. 
You may be the very best in your family, in your street, in your community, whatever, but, but your best is not good enough for God. And you've got a massive problem because the, the commandments, the law condemns you. You see it in the parable of the Good Samaritan. Jesus tells the parable of the Good Samaritan because there's a, a Levite, a, an expert of the law, so-called. Well, who's my neighbor? When the law is condemning him, he tries to squirm out of it like a, like a good lawyer should be. But he's applying it to himself. He's trying to get out of the demands of the law. He's trying to get out of, of not keeping the law. He's trying to change the law or, or skew it in some way to, to make himself not guilty. But he's guilty. And the rich and rule is guilty. And you and I are guilty as well. Because we know that our best is not good enough for the God who is good. And the answer of Jesus to this rich young ruler is, come and follow me. You've got to do other things first, but come and follow me. But the rich young ruler doesn't. Have you come and given up everything for Jesus? Are you willing to give up everything for Jesus? Are you willing to put Jesus first? That's the call here. That our best isn't good enough, but we need to rely on the one who is good enough and to put him first. To follow him, not with baggage, but by getting rid of the baggage and following Jesus. Because the third question, really, that we see here, oh, best isn't good enough. What's the key to the kingdom of God? What's the key? Did you notice, really, the whole passage? I brought it in from verse 13 for a reason. We've already seen. Only God is good. And it requires keeping the commandments, keeping the law. Jesus says something remarkable. He tells a, a story which is kind of outrageous about a camel getting through the eye of a needle. Verse 24. It's easier for a camel to go through the eye of a needle than for someone who is rich to enter the kingdom of God. Who then can be saved? And the answer to Jesus is this. Well, with man, it's impossible. But with God, all things are possible. So what's Jesus saying? He's using a, an outrageous illustration, isn't he? It's not a gate called a camel gate or a needle gate or anything else. It's not a needle gate that, you know, people try to take camels like it with a bandage to squeeze them. It's not a real gate. Jesus is using just a a statement about the impossible. They, they get it. Who that can be saved? They, they get it. They get the story. The whole point is you can't put a camel, a massive animal with humps and a long neck and everything else, through a needle, even a big needle. The eye is going to be so big. It's going to be small, isn't it? Even when a needle, the, the eye can get a rope through can't put a camel through there, no matter how hard you try. It's impossible. You can try and you can push and you can squeeze, but clearly it is impossible. Doesn't matter how hard you try, rich young ruler, you can't work your way through the gate into heaven itself. If entry into heaven is the eye of a needle, we're all camels who can't get in no matter how hard we push and try our best. So what's the key? With God, all things are possible. 
Jesus says, then come, follow me. So what's the key? It's not about what we do. It's about what we read earlier from verse 13 on, but the children. Let the children come to me. Don't hinder them. It's all about being like the little children. The passage here is the contrast between children and the very best of the world. The very best person trying their best. The richest, young, powerful, fit, healthy, young ruler. He can't get in. Not with that attitude. Not without following Jesus. How do you follow Jesus? Like a little child. Again, in the other Gospels, Jesus expands and, and the writers expand. You've got to be like a child, Jesus says, to enter the kingdom of God. Not trying your best. That is impossible. That's the camel going through the eye of a needle. No, you come like a little child. How do children come? How do they come to Jesus? Well, they come trusting, don't they? They gather round him. He lays his hands on them. He prays for them. They're sitting on his lap. He's around them. The disciples are shooing them away. We want the rich young ruler. That's who we want. Don't worry about the children. They, in that time, had no value in society. They're not worth anything. But the rich young ruler, but it's the attitude of the children. Trusting. Children are trusting. Small children are trusting, aren't they? They come and sit in your lap. They come and snuggle up next to you, even after they've only met you for a few moments. They're also humble. They're not running around, boasting and bragging. They're not like the rich young ruler running, asking Jesus questions, telling, well, I've kept those commandments. They just want to be with Jesus. They're just sitting with him. That's what little children are like. They want to be with other people. They're humble. They realize they know they're little. They know that they can't open jars or, or pick up really heavy things. And so they get someone else to weigh because they are dependent. They are reliant. They know that they need someone else to help them. Little children know they can't feed themselves. They know they can't do this, that, and the other, but they know who can. And they are reliant, and they are dependent, and they are humble, and they are loving. And that is the attitude, and that is the way into the kingdom, to have that attitude, to be reliant upon Jesus, to be trusting upon Jesus, to be dependent upon Jesus, to be humble before Jesus, realising it is him alone who keeps the commandments for us, who fulfills the laws for us, who goes to the cross for us, who is our saviour. We need someone else. That bumblebee was reliant upon me or my wife or anybody else. The bumblebee was dying. Totally reliant upon someone else to help. Children are totally reliant upon someone else. Sinners are totally reliant upon a perfect saviour, one who is good, one who has kept the law for you because you and I can't and have not and will not. He keeps the commandments for us. And that's the key here. The world offers everything 
and yet nothing. Are you willing this morning to be like a little child, to sit at the feet of Jesus, to follow the one who is willing to go to the cross, having kept the law, he goes. Are you willing to follow him this morning? Well, we pray that God would grant us that faith, that childlike faith, to put our trust in Jesus Christ this morning.